Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. As the financial advice landscape changes, it's important to embrace new technology to enhance the way you run your business. With change comes your chance to use advanced technology, reshape your client experience and see wealth differently. NetWealth is here to support you on this journey by providing you market-leading technology, excellent customer support, and expertise to help your business thrive. See wealth differently. Visit netwealth.com.au to learn more about how NetWealth can support you. Welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and we are talking today around the evolution of technology. Uh, where to from here? We all sort of know what the last uh, few years has brought us so far, but uh, it's really exciting to think about what the future could hold. So let's get let's get stuck into this episode. Welcome back, Patrick Flynn. Great to be back. Now we're talking all things around the evolution of technology and innovation in our in this particular series. Uh, let's uh, let's start. Let's have a chat to you about it. Let's start with something maybe small and then work our way to some of the more outrageous uh, outcomes that could we could end up with. <laughs> cool. So let's um, maybe start with client engagement as an yep. example. Um, so there's uh, where we're seeing you know continuous trends. A lot of this stuff builds off stuff we've been seeing for a long time. So for example, um, anybody who's had one of those clients where you say, you know what, here's your kitty, go play with that. I'll manage your broader portfolio, but you know, you can stick 2% of your portfolio or 20 grand or whatever it is into whatever crazy idea, whatever you, you know, whatever you want. I'm not going to be thinking about that. I'm managing everything else, but it helps you scratch that itch of play money. Um, I think we'll be seeing more demand for things conceptually similar to that. So that stuff's been available for a long time. People have been able to have their own standard standalone stockbroker in the past, or they've been able to use an E-Trade a long time ago, and now Comsec and whatnot. They're all very easy to use. Um, That's something that is going to increasingly change over time, where people find implementing stuff very easy. Um, And that's often been a a saving grace for us um, in advice, where you know, it used to be the value of what we said used to be super valuable because Google wasn't around or Google wasn't very good. So you couldn't Google anything that we've done. Now, naturally, every advisor knows that there's a lot of stuff an advisor can add value to, but clients don't know that. So if they think that they can Google things themselves and it's just as good, then you know, in their eyes, it's just as good. If I need to go to a heart surgeon, I can't tell a good heart surgeon from a bad heart surgeon. I have no way of validating that. And clients have little way of validating that in terms of technical expertise. Um, so you know, we're always we're already on that trend, but a saving grace for us for a long time was, yeah, sure, you might be able to search much of this stuff on the internet, but we are helping you with stuff that you would never have found on the internet. But then we're also here to do the execution, the ongoing management, stuff that you've never been able to do before. One thing that's definitely going to change over time around client engagement is it's getting easier and easier to do things. It's easier to roll over your super than ever before. It's easier to buy some shares than ever before. It's easier to do a lot of this stuff than ever before. Getting a digital will, there's now plenty of digital will type services. 
you can do all of these things now yourself easily. So when we're trying to charge the kinds of fees that used to be totally reasonable, given the amount of work that we were saving a client, we, we, we won't have that anymore. So we need to be smarter about uh, client engagements. Yep. It's, yeah, you're right, because there's certainly going to be a lot a lot of, uh, if we go back to the data conversation, there's a lot of businesses now that are going to know a lot of data about our, our clients um, mm-hmm. and could possibly be serving up uh, opportunities or options for them. And and even in the first chat, you know, if your existing super fund is saying, hey, consolidate, just click a few buttons and you can consolidate, then that's a heck of a lot easier as a and, you know, they might just do it as opposed to coming to us with four or five funds and they're feeling a little bit lost and don't know how to get started and stuff like that. And every fund was, you know, uh, requiring you to, you know, provide certified copies of your DNA to be able to roll over. They can't do that anymore, um, which is good for good for consumers, um, but also takes away a, a point of value that we used to add. Yeah. Now, when, when I think about the things that are closer to us or we mentioned the smaller things, um, in the evolution, uh, you know, things like QR codes and digital signatures or, or multi-factor authentication have sort of taken on fairly rapidly recently. Um, mm. but how do you see that evolving? Well, uh, QR codes are something I've been using for a long time. Um, I've, I use them in SOAs, in any SOA templates we design. We use them there because they're a really good way to cross the divide between print and digital. Uh, for as long as we are printing out SOAs and going through them with clients in person. If we want to refer to anything that's external, a QR code is a really good way to effectively have a hyperlink in a printed document. Um, because if something comes out with a bit of blue underline, <laughs> there's no amount of tapping it with, with your finger that you, you know will get you anywhere. Um, we were probably way ahead of the curve in QR codes, but COVID's been a real boon for QR codes. Now everybody has a QR code reader. Um, and you know, even for the last couple of years, everyone's phone integrated phone app has been able to read QR codes. So even if you don't have the government scanner, you, you just open up your camera and you can pull up a link. It's really good for crossing that divide from print to digital. I do think that that's probably more of a short to medium term tool because hopefully, and I imagine most of the listeners are in the same boat, hopefully we're not printing too many documents down the track or the printed versions aren't the only ones that we're supplying to clients. You know, fingers crossed there's a video based version or a hybrid based version um, where, you know, or the document that you're presenting isn't necessarily the whole document, but the supporting information is emailed there. And then all of that all provided through your secure client portal. Uh, And everything can be hyperlinked through there. Um, And as that evolves over time, I think QR codes will become less and less relevant for advice businesses, but it's a pretty funky tool right now, especially when you want to build supporting documents or supporting information into anything, be it your marketing material or advice or whatever. Great reference tool. Uh, The e-signatures part, I think that's just pretty clear. It's here to stay. Um, I really hope um, more providers can be more flexible with the use of e-signatures. And sometimes it can be a little bit clunky because when an advisor sends an e-signature, a document for e-signature, trying to validate that to a provider is a little bit different um, because, you know, they're kind of depending on you to send the original thing. I do see one day down the track, uh, not right now, um, there being something that's a little bit more flexible where you can integrate a provider's envelope or a product's envelope with one of your envelopes. So it can be your ATP, which goes back to you, but then in the same envelope or the same process and experience is the product's, you know, 
consent forms or you know, application forms or whatever the case may be, and that'll go back to them. Uh, and then everybody gets everything they need and the client just gets one envelope. That would be something that's very cool, which, you know, fingers crossed one day we get. Yeah, fantastic. And what about uh, something like multi-factor authentication? Well, again, as things need to get more secure, um, we're going to see that everywhere in terms of, you know, any client portals that we have. It becomes a little bit of a frustration for us when we're just doing some administrative work around product management and stuff like that. Clients just facilitating something as simple as a deposit of withdrawal. That stuff becomes more relevant. The area that I'm seeing this change a bit more on is around that uh, digital security and making sure you have a process in your business for if a client calls up and requests a withdrawal, what do you do around that? Or if a client sends you an email and requests a withdrawal, what do you do around that? Do you just accept what they've given you over that single medium at the time? Um, If it's an email, um, then you I know some practices are doing this already. Uh, They will say, great, I'll give you a call just to verify before we process that withdrawal for you. Um, And we should be starting to think about some things like that where we are implementing what is effectively multi-factor authentication, even if it doesn't mean that they automatically get an SMS. um, The concept still applies very heavily in advice. Yeah, fantastic. And as you mentioned before, you've taken it back to having a policy and a process in place. I love it. (laughs) Um, Unsurprising, eh? Tell us about some of these way out types of technologies that are around. And, and you know, we're talking about the, the VR or AR or digital human type thing. How do you see, is it, are we close to that or is that uh, still a long way away? It's still a long way away. Um, but when we talk about robo advice in particular, you know, we just I just see a lot of misconceptions in terms of robo. So we'll either look at the US model where those advisors that have been disrupted by robo providing or getting advice from a tool that's very different to the type of comprehensive advice that we get over here. If you look at the advice of the consultants, uh, peers to myself over in the US, say to uh, an advisor in the US, they'll say, well, you've got to be holistic now, don't you? The pivot is to being holistic. Now, we've been holistic forever. Um, So, you know, we don't need to make that pivot. Um, So we do feel a lot safer because a lot of the stuff that we do is far less transactional. That'll get us through a significant period of time. And, you know, where most of what we do, certainly at the smaller practice end, is very heavily relationship-based, that's that's working for the medium term. Where this could go long-term, it's really hard to project ahead. But there's three particular tools which, when I see them sort of converging over time, is kind of nuts. Um, So there's a piece of software it's an app you can call uh, you can get it's called replica with a k r-e-p-l-i-k-a uh, that is a piece of software that's designed for people who feel lonely um, or have got mental health issues or whatever um, that has some crazy uh you know kind of turing test success level type stuff in there where if you're engaging with that tool over time one it gives you all these prompts about you know hey how are you feeling today um and then if you say something it'll Taylor response and it's effectively a chat bot but there are there are times where i've used it and i've just said whoa 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 that's not a chat bot that's some kind of ai referring to something somebody else has said that somebody else has responded to and then repeated that algorithmically and they're putting that together because no computer crafted that sentence that came from ai putting together human responses and it's pretty nuts so with a tool like that Part of the reason why it's pretty funky is because it's built for people who are lonely, right? So it's 
built to replace those conversations and people might say something to their replica that they would never say to another human, right? That thing that they might say is, I just don't know where all my money has gone (laughs) or I feel like I don't trust, I can't trust anybody Um, or, you know, I just get confused whenever I talk to anybody about anything with a dollar sign in front of it. Now, they might not, not frame it in exactly those ways, but you can see them saying those things as well as saying, I feel lonely, I don't feel like there's anyone I can talk to generally, um, I don't know where my life is going, all those sorts of things, things that they'd never say to another person. So that's pretty cool because you can see, and again, I talk about trust a lot, you could earn trust with a piece of AI there that you might not actually get the chance to build with a lot of other people. Now, I know there are financial advisors out there who really break down walls with people, and uh, that was something I could never have done. Um, But if you're really good at that, then you can replicate that. But for those that perceive themselves as technicians first, um, then something like that can break down some of those walls. Now, the, the other two bits of software in there, and this is all going to come together, so don't worry. But there's one called Soul Machines. It's a group in the U, sorry, in New Zealand, uh, and they've created some um, very realistic-looking AI. Um, so you know, it looks like you're talking to a person. They craft a person from facets of different people. Looks like a real face. Kind the the audio isn't great um, on that tool, but Westpac did a pilot with it a couple of years ago, and it looks pretty cool. Um, New Zealand used it uh, in a pilot, especially around breaking down um, uh, interactions around COVID, um, where they felt some people might be a little bit more comfortable uh, getting uh, frequently asked questions answered by something with a face as opposed to just a chatbot. Um, now the visuals of that are really cool. The other parts of it not quite as strong. Um, and then you've got a, there's a Brisbane-based firm called Replica Studios. Now, to keep it confusing, this is Replica with a C, but um, Replica Studios, they do AI for voice acting used for game developers. So if, you, if you're a, uh, you know, an indie game developer, you might not have the big budget to employ real-life voice actors, but you can get these voice actors to say something in a really cool voice, you know, the booming sorcerer or the, you know, bulky barbarian or whatever it might be. And if you just go to you just simply Google Replica Studios, they've got a version you can play on the website and you can see how they've changed the different emphasis and different words in there and you can hear that that conversation evolve. So uh, one of my friends referred to it as um, you know, it certainly starts out with a bit of um, uh, yeah, that AI sound um, and if you, you, know, you get that AI sound, but it really starts to unpack once there's a bit of emphasis here and a bit of tone there. And you can watch them as you specify, put a bit of tone here or apply this bit of emphasis there and it stops being such a neutral comment because nothing we say is actually neutral in the real world. You start to feel that come together. Now, imagine you had all those three in one, a tool that you can talk to anytime and you feel build, you can build trust with that looks like a human and sounds like a human. Then something like that gets a Charles Schwab in the US or a Commonwealth Bank or something like that behind it saying, hey, you've got your digital financial advisor that you can talk to money about. They won't ever judge you. They can give you this. They can give you that. And they can do a lot of the stuff that we can do. That's a long way away. But that's where I see this going. Um, so if I was to be afraid of, uh, of AI, it would be something like when those things start coming together where you can build trust with something and maybe it's a standard version and then you get the the financial advice add-on. 
after you've already gotten the mental health add-on and you've gotten the body, mind and soul add-on and you've gotten the nutritionist add-on and maybe, you know, any other add-on that you might get, you can get the financial advice add-on powered by CBA. And because you've already, uh, because you've already done the, um, the trust in the other ones, you automatically trust the, uh, the, the, the uh, digital human. Rightly or wrongly, um, I can see people being more comfortable with that down the track. And, and that's, that's a pretty crazy thought, um, but that might be 10 years away, but I wouldn't say that that's 30 years away. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, uh, Patrick Flynn, thanks for coming on this series. If somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Uh, just go to patrickflynn.info and there's a little uh, book a virtual coffee with me button in the bottom right. Uh, and as part of that, you know, website client experience, you can just click that and you can see when I'm, an, when I'm available and book a time. Otherwise, you can just drop me a, a link on the site there as well as a, you know, a spot where you can contact me there too. Fantastic. Patrick, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Fraser. Welcome back, Hayley Pierce. Thanks, Fraser. Thank you for catching up with us. Now, of course, this is the last episode. We're talking about the evolution, where to from here when it comes to innovation and technology. And I'm just, I, you know, I just, I feel it in my bones that you have a lot of information here about <laughs> what the what the history could look like. Tell us about uh, what where you think the evolution of technology is taking us. Oh, look, I don't want to let you down because I think we, um, I touched on it before, I think we as a profession have innovated awful in that we've we've really tried to improve things that aren't right in the first place but what that means is there's so much opportunity for us um the you know open banking for example there's there's so much opportunity there um there's some great tools in moneysoft frollo that are taking part in these these new types of technologies and it will be really interesting to see where it goes from there um, you know, I spoke earlier about QR codes. There's all these 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 pieces of tech that are out there that we're not using. That, and it's largely because we've got so much other stuff to focus on. There's so much legislation and red tape that we're focusing on at the moment that it's distracting us from the tools that can make life easier. Um, and I, I wonder whether, after all of this, <laughs> if there is a will ever be a time where the legislation within our industry won't be tampered with. There'll be a space where advisors can look at their processes, look at their engagement and start to incorporate different tools into that, that process. Yeah, it's been interesting. Obviously, um, the last few years of all the all of the uh, trying to implement all the changes, but also, um, you know, in, in a way where technology. And I think a lot of people started building things from scratch where they could have just started started implementing. Uh, things in that space. Um, talk to me about how you see, you know, client engagement kicking off in the future. Yeah, I think, uh, and I've spoken about it again, not to sound like a broken record, but the forms with providers is a huge one because, I mean, you, you look at just the consent process in itself. A client has to sign our consent form and then they need to sign the consent form for the product provider. Now, if they've got multiple products, that's just so much paperwork. The whole idea of that form of the consent process was transparency for the client to engage them in the fees they are paying and the services they are entitled to. The number of clients that have said, why am I signing this same thing twice? Does this mean I'm paying double the fee? I can have all the videos and all the phone calls I like, but the fact that there's two forms that do the same thing completely disengages the client from the purpose of with which when that form was intended. So I think engagement 
going forward, as I hate to sound like it's an administrative thing, but I feel like advisors with with everything that's coming out with ethics now, we are pushing to find out more about the client. We are pushing to engage with them more. There are tools to do that. I think it's the the back end, the red tape, the administrative stuff that things need to change. They need to innovate. And it's not, it's not, you know, putting a band-aid over something. It's look at the process, what's not working. Let's improve that. I mean, the the fact that advisors are you know, this, this cash flow industry that has emerged from financial planning. They looked at the market, where the problems were, and they emerged with this, they innovated. They created this new market. They listened to what was there. I, I just feel like there's a, a gap at the moment with the, with the behind the scenes of, of advice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's about um, it's about catching up in, in a lot of areas. Uh, talk to me about the, um, the, the, you know, the, you mentioned before the selfie on the phone. What what are the things you're sort of seeing in that space around you know e signatures and multi-factor and those sorts of things? Yeah, so uh, the, you know definitely the e signatures make such a difference. But just because we have legislation around the the fact that they are accepted doesn't mean that they ex- actually are accepted everywhere or that people know how to use them. Um, I think where that can develop is the the two-factor authentication. If someone can sign off using their actual their fingerprint or their, you know, we we have our face recognition to unlock our phones. Those things are a higher form of identification than ink on a piece of paper. Um, and there's some there's some real opportunity there with with confirming things for clients. I mean, there's why can't a consent form be an SMS that, you know, is approved with a fingerprint? You know, I think there's opportunity. Absolutely. I love the facial recognition comment to imagine if we could just look at our phones and approve the form. I mean, COVID was a really, really great test run for this stuff and it was possible. There were providers that accepted a selfie with someone holding their ID. They accepted that. But as soon as COVID seemed to come, you know, be getting better or that requirement wasn't there, that facility was turned off. Like that was fantastic you know, to be able to certify someone's ID over a video call. Like that's that's great. That allows us as a business to service clients all over Australia. And that also makes the whole AML obligation much easier because not every advisor sits down face-to-face with their client, grabs their ID and, and goes out to the receptionist and says, can you please photocopy this for me? That, that's just not the case as much anymore. So the things have to change in line with, with what's happening. Yeah, fantastic! I love that idea of um, I love that idea doing the video selfie. This is me. This is my idea, and you know, this is a, um, a you know a true copy of the original, which uh, which everybody can cite on this video. It makes oh a lot yeah, of sense. we we um, we toyed with the idea of you know when we do new portfolio calls, we understand that people are a little bit like, "Oh, who are you? I've never heard of you before." And that can just be not being engaged with the process. So we toyed with the idea of sending them, you know, with their welcome letter, a magnet for their fridge with all of our contact details, and it had like a code word. So every time they called us, we could say, hey, hey, John, what's the code word? And he could walk up to his fridge and say, pineapple, something like that, just as a way of going, yep, you're John and you've got that magnet and I know you're my client. Little things like that because what I understand of the legislation is, you have to be seen to be making efforts to do this. It's not as just simple as tick and flick. You have to be making the effort to pursue more information, to acknowledge 
your client is who they say they are to confirm they have informed consent. Um, you know, little things like that. I know, obviously, ASIC would probably just laugh at that idea, but it just shows that we're doing what we can to engage, to confirm with the client. And I think that that whilst it might not legally speak volumes, I feel like it does. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I love that idea of a code word. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know uh, how that's going to work for each client, but I think <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting one. There'd be a lot of different pineapples around um, <laughs> or variations, but uh, you know, I, I agree that there could be something that uh, you know, a, a number or whatever it might be, an identification process to say, "Hey, is this John? Is this really John?" Uh, gives them a little bit of gives them <laughs> a little I, bit of uh, feeling that they you know you are taking it seriously. Absolutely, and the you know banks are using that with the two factor authentication, having a a code on your phone as well as your password, like that that would be a really great tool as opposed to a signature. Um, you know, I feel like, as I said before, advisors have come so far in innovating and developing how they give advice, but we are one part of this industry. We've all got to start moving forward together. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, exactly right. Now talk to us about the future. What are the, what, you know, 10 years from now, what does it, what's advice look like from, uh, from a financial advisor? Are we still face to face? Are we, uh, are we getting, you know, digital? Uh, how are we engaging? Oh, I think, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. COVID, COVID surprised me, but it's really hard to see what the future will look like. One thing I do know is there is more opportunity than ever. People are more digital. People are more willing to ask for help. People, some people do have more cash available to be able to leap at opportunities. Um, just as I said before, seeing advisors offer more in the cash flow space. Um, it might be a little while before there's another pivot within the industry, but I know it's possible. Um, and I'm really excited. I think, you know, at Caboodle, sometimes I envy hearing advisors talk about looking after a particular niche. And I think that would be cool. But I just love the challenge of looking after a range of clients. It really keeps me on my toes. And um, I, I know why people niche, but it is, I think, as an advisor, good to be able to get that that broad spectrum because I, I deal with people that that don't know what technology is, that are actually afraid of it. On the other side, people that lean in. Like we've got clients in our CRM that are our cheerleaders, that we tag them as such so that when we want to try something new, they're the first people we contact to say, hey, can you give this a try and give us our feedback, give us your feedback. Now, they're not always willing to give positive feedback, but that's good. I want to know if it's hard or if it's crappy. Um, so I think the future should look a bit more like that. People not being afraid to ask their clients for that sort of feedback to test new ideas because advice has had to stay within some very constrained, you know, legislation and people are, you know, it's red October, people are a little bit afraid to do anything. Um, I, th- I think we, we can't be afraid to try new technologies if it's seen to be helping the client, um, you know, because it's out there. There's, there's so many apps out there. It can be overwhelming without a doubt. Not everyone naturally leans into new technology, but just trying one thing is is a benefit. Yeah, fantastic. Those are great words. Lean in, uh, innovate, test, and then uh, innovate again. Uh, Hayley, thanks so much for coming on the series. Really appreciate it. How can people get hold of you if they wanted to continue the conversation? Yeah, so you can pop me an email um, or head, you can contact us on our website, caboodlefs.com.au. Thank you so much, Haley. Thanks, Fraser. I really appreciate your time. Welcome back, James. Uh, nice to be back. I think this is the 
the last one of five. Yeah, we're in the final yeah. episode. We're talking yes. about the evolution of technology and innovation and what's the possibility of the future. This is a this is an open book. Uh, what are you what are your thoughts on the idea of where the advice profession could go? Well, if you look at the standpoint of where we could go versus where we are, we probably haven't gone anywhere because the future is where where we're all going to be at. And it's how we embrace that, how we embrace the tech, how we how we embrace the the ability to be able to connect in different ways. I think in a previous episode, we mentioned about the uh, digital natives, uh, you know, in there, the van life people, if you wanted to, uh, how do they want to be, uh, to, to be able to get the information and the data they want. Uh, I see advice is going to be, in my way of thinking, particularly with, the digital native van life type people, small incremental bits at a time, um, not the big holistic, this is what you need to, to, you know, eating an elephant one bite at a time. And I think advice is going to go down that path. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that we're From a consumer point of view, we tend to do that now with the, the content. We'll do a little bit here and a little bit there and we'll move on. We tend to be busy and we're just taking on small bits at a time. Yeah. How, how does that happen from an, um, an advice point of view? How do we manage to get those small incremental pieces of, of the puzzle? Is it a 12-month uh, financial plan or is it a system, a process? Uh, are, we, are we talking about group financial planning? How, how do we scale? Well, I think you scale by, by, by using scope. And, and, and working out what the, the client's immediate needs are, because what their needs are today is going to be different to what their needs are in six months, 12 months, three years. Um, and even that can change. Look what's happened in the last two years um, or less. And so the, the, the plans about what we're trying to achieve today and how we deliver that information is, is the, intermediate, is the, um, the immediacy of what people want. And 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 we and we kind of need to give it to them, you know. In some instances, advice advice firms have become roadblocks because they want to um, deliver advice in a certain way, and I can understand why they want to do that because of the compliance regimes of licensees, etc. Uh, we just need to find that 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 ability to be able to take those roadblocks away, or as many roadblocks away, so we can, can deliver those, those those bits of advice that clients need and still be compliant um, for them. Uh, the way we deliver advice, we're obviously going to change. We've spoken before about video. Definitely, that's going to be a way of being able to, to, to continue online meetings. VR is another one. There's um, a new headset that's just been released or, or been talked about where people can actually use... Um, uh, glasses to be able to um, have streaming TV so they can just lay back and um, have the um, small LEDs inside uh, the glasses to be able to watch TV. Lovely. Fantastic. Like, yeah. From anywhere and anywhere. VA, you mentioned there's obviously a virtual, that's virtual reality. You've got augmented reality as a, as a variation of that. And also the digital humans, an interesting concept too. Have you seen much of that? No. I've, I've read a bit about it, but I haven't seen much of it. Put it that way, not yeah. yet. Anyway, yeah, it's almost... I think I think um, who was it released? Uh, Amazon released their little robot uh, this week. Sorry if you're listening to this in a couple of months' time. Sorry about that. Um, it's a thousand dollars, and it's going to be able to monitor and help. I would imagine they'll have things in the future where they'll monitor their spending. They'll be able to give up an update about where their bank accounts are up to, what the market is doing where things, um, where, where their investments are at, they'll be able to 
to be able to get those at a at a at a beck and call, so to speak. Yeah, amazing. And what what are you seeing in the space of things like I don't know digital signatures and multi-factor authentication? Well, digital signatures has become part of the. If we use digital signatures regards doctor sign first, well, absolutely, that's become part of our our world to try and get advice back and forth. With lockdown as being um, really the only way we're, we're, that we've been able to get documents done um, from a, a authentication point of view, I think we haven't even touched the service on that. They're saying that everything that we do needs to be uh, trying to bring in as much authentication as possible. Two factors. Um, and how how which one's right? Do you use do you use mobile? Do you use a, or an authenticator? Who knows? I, I'd probably prefer to prefer the latter than the former. Yeah, I, I prefer the, the multi-factor authentication. T- tell me about the um, uh, any anything you're seeing in the world of apps, or it, when it comes to advisor-client relationships, or advisors creating apps. Have you seen anything there? Uh, no, I had, I think we're still using the ones that are the. Because it costs a lot of money to create a decent app. Let's face it; it's not a. It's not a. It is getting cheaper, but there's there's businesses and people that have got. I'm going to say more smarts, but that's not necessarily right. But you know, you've got the the my prosperities, you've got the map my plans, you've got those sorts of techs that are out there, uh, cash flow coaching, uh, cash flow um, analysis uh, applications as well. We, uh, from a, a delivery of advice point of view, I don't think. I think apps have got, there is an opportunity to be able to get more apps out there. Yep. Yep. And what about the, um, you mentioned data in a previous episode. How do you see the evolution, um, you know, of data and being able to mine opportunities and uh, with, with regards to structured data? Yeah. Um, the bigger the data set, the better it is. Um, if you've, if you've, if you've, from an AFSL point of view, from a licensee point of view, you've got a better opportunity than you have for a, than a, an advice practice um, and what is it? The average advisor these days these days can look around, look after around a hundred clients. So it's not a big data set to be able to use. But if you collectively gathered that data, and that may be something you could look at in the future, where a, a group of advisors can gather their own data as a collective to give them a better opportunity to be able to see um, what that what their data set looks like. So obviously, you can get data sets with, and I think. People like Zeppo and Work Sorted are, are, are labelling people to be able to gather their data, and definitely you've got you've got businesses like um, or applications which hasn't even been remotely used at the moment, like um, Power BI. And I see where there's a firm called um, EFT Tracker. They've created a, a a whole website around Power BI, and they're they're scraping data from a range of different places to be able to allow people to look at um, EFTs in a um, um, in dashboard. Dashboard, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, now you and I have had conversations over many years around Thank licensing you. and the, the evolution of licensing. You know, so is it is it you know that especially for mid tier or mid size licenses, uh, we're seeing a lot of shifting in that space now based on all of the things we went through. You know, creating efficiencies and and the size of what's requ- of the requirements these days. How do you see the evolution of licensing going? Well, there's a, there's a school of thought that says that um, that the actual licensee will be no be no more, and there'll be individual licensing with ASIC. I think we're at least five years away from that. I think that they, um, and even if that was going to be the case, and I'm I'm happy either way. Advice firms are still going to need somewhere to go to to be able to help them with their payment systems, um, 
uh, are getting keeping up to date with compliance, which is an ever-evolving beast, as we know. Um, even the tech, you know, where where what what the 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 economy is a scale around tech, what tech is that can be used. So I think that the licenses will probably evolve just as much as as the licensing will evolve. Yep, fantastic, uh, James. Thanks so much for coming on the series. Really appreciate your your guidance and information and, and wisdom. Tell us about uh, where people can get hold of you if they wanted to continue the conversation with you about the work you're doing with um, with the practices licensees in, in this space. Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way at the moment. They can just reach out through me through to me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the best place to get me. Fantastic. You can go to Twitter if you want to. I don't I don't check it as much these days. There's too much anger on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, LinkedIn's a good spot. Thanks, James Sutherland. Really appreciate your uh, coming on the show, coming on the uh, the series. Been a pleasure. See you, man. Thanks for joining us again, Cara Graham. We are in the final episode of this series of all things technology and looking at uh, uh, you know what, how we can become efficient and effective with technology. Talk to us about the evolution. We're talking about the the, the history. Oh, sorry, we're talking about the history. We've spoken about the history. We're talking about the future. Uh, where to from here? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think the future is is really about a, a bit of a hybrid model or a bit of a blend between the digital experience and the human experience. You know, we can use technology to to really, I guess, speed things up and and get rid of some of the administration or at least reduce. I, don't, I think get rid is maybe a bit extreme um, from there. But then obviously you don't want to lose that human touch. You know, it's, it, you want people that can understand you, you know, that can um, adapt to you as well. You know, a big part of advice is, is around managing people's behaviour. And, you know, while technology can be great in, you know, automating things, you know, you still need, a, I think, a human element in there to say, hey, do we need to pivot? Do we need to change? Does this person... Um, you know, need something a little bit different to to make sure that they can they can adjust and adapt to their behaviour in the best way possible, and and I just think that there's so much cool stuff coming out in terms of um, you know some of the the sort of micro investing or some of the robo advice apps and and different different things coming through that you know we as advisors we just we shouldn't be scared of of robo advice you know robo advice can complement some of the areas that we do because. You know, clients are, are still going to want, um, you know, a human human element there to, to provide that check and balance. But, you know, if we can use some of these apps and some of these platforms to just make things that much more efficient and that much more accessible, I think that's that's awesome. You know, we want to make sure that as, um, as things evolve over time, that we can make sure that we've got a really affordable offering that's still life-changing to clients. You know, that's that's going to provide the greatest outcomes to, you know, to both us and our clients in the long run. Couldn't agree more. Now, affordability is, is a big part of this. Accessibility, uh, you know, being having access to these things is, is, is another. Uh, and you, you mentioned, you know, the, the human element. And I, when I think, when, I, when you say that, I think of the, you know, the, the two parts of our brain, the, we have emotional thoughts and feelings. Uh, and then, you know, there is the, the technical side, which, which is which it seems to be where a lot of the technology is focused on being able to calculate and compute things and work out what might be best and all those types of things but then the, the as you mentioned the human element is often dealing with the emotional aspects of that and, and it's i think it's a long way off before technology can take that part well you know you can and a reminder you can dismiss an alert on your phone but you know when somebody 
you know, calls you or, you know, sees you and says, okay, we, we said we were going to do this and it hasn't happened yet. What do we need to do to make it, you know, to make it different? Again, that's just a much better call to action than going, oh, you know, 30 June is approaching or I said I would do this um, from there. And, you know, our job as advisors is to empower people to make good decisions, but then also to hold them to account. You know, we're obviously really accountable to all the things we deliver on, but, you know, we need to hold our clients to account. I, you know, you can't just engage an advisor and put your feet up. You engage an advisor and they're going to make you work. So that you can be in a better position in the long run. Everything, everything takes sacrifice, and you know, change is hard. You know, we would, we've been talking about change as a business. That's obviously very hard. But you know, clients don't like change either. So we need to be there as that that impetus for change. To say, well, why are we reverting back to old behaviour, or what else do we need to do, or maybe we haven't got. Um, Maybe we haven't got the message sort of fully delivered or, or sunk in, so we need to go back to the education stage um, from there. And you know, as a as human, we're going to be able to read the room. We're going to be able to adapt. Um, you know, we're going to figure out. Okay, has somebody misunderstood what we've said? You know, a computer's not going to figure out if somebody's not getting it. They just want to move on to the next. You know, the next question, the next segment um, from there. So you know, there's. The need for advice and the need for a human element advice is, is never going to go away. But if we can get technology to do some of the, you know, let's call it the basic stuff, well, awesome. We just need to embrace that in my view. 100% and technology can provide the, provide the information and the human can, can provide the understanding by the sound of it. Mm. Tell me about your, um, the, you know, we talked about some of the technology that you're using in the business throughout the, throughout the series. Um, where do you want to see some of that go? What are your ideas and thoughts around the future of how technology can make it can improve your business? Well, I think that we we just want technology to remo- remove some of the manual components of things. I think you know far too much. There's still a lot of say data entry. You know, I think data entry rubbish in, rubbish out is often the saying. Data entry is just so critically important. Um, from there, you know, can we get um, you know, the client sort of doing some of that rather than necessarily the client adding it in and then somebody else processing it from there, you know, and I think we've certainly, I know us as business, we've come a step forward, but I think we have a long way forward to that. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, certainly going to be better technology to make, say, some of the modelling component more live and accessible. You know, we use Xtools at the moment for our modelling, which I think is really great. Now clients love love the modelling. We get really good outcomes um, from that. But it is clunky and it isn't something that I think works particularly well live. Um, but I think it would be awesome to sit there and, again, much more efficient to sit there and rather than walking away with the changes we're going to make and come back to them on, just to be able to do them in a nice, easy, quick way, um, you know, right there in the meeting. And, um, you know, maybe there's some other um, uh, instruments that we'll be learning about when I listen to this podcast series <laughs> that we can be assessing um, from there. But, you know, I think it's, yeah, really just removing some of the manual, some of the duplication of work, then technology is surely, surely going to help there. Um, you know, one of the things that we often sort of say to our clients as well is that our our role isn't to be their advisor forever. Our role is to be their advisor for as long as we can add value, you know. And, and I think what we need to accept as advisors is that, you know, year to year, 
Sometimes that value is going to go up and sometimes that value is going to go down. So we need to have quite a nimble um, engagement process with our clients so we can kind of, you know, scale up and scale down as needed. And again, you know, being able to use some technology, use some, you know, robo advice potentially from an investment point of view um, for some of those sort of things, it just puts the power back in the client's hands. You know, we're still there from an advice perspective, but, but they're in control, you know, and that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah, so something that could be more lower cost, lower touch that yeah. could, you know, be in place for, you know, a year or two until the client's ready to come back and, and make any other major changes? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, we, we work with a pretty wide variety of clients, you know, from the mum and dads up to the ultra high net wealth. And, you know, I don't think it comes as any surprise. The profitability is much higher on the ultra high net wealth. They're much more high touch and, you know, there's a lot more work involved. But it's, you know, when you're sort of working more on a quantity I don't really want to say not low quality because we do obviously provide a high quality of service to, to all of our clients, but I guess it's almost just getting busier without necessarily getting more profitable. And I think that's certainly something that we've kind of looked at and assessed as a business as well is, you know, what what is providing us and our clients both with the best outcomes? You know, you can't necessarily be everything to everybody. So how can we make um, how can we make some of that you know, more simple advice, more cost effective and, you know, be able to continue working in that market as well because, you know, there's a lot of people that need advice and, and you know, we don't want to just make the rich richer. We want to be able to provide advice to all Australians and that is really important to us. Well said. Cara, uh, if somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach out or find you? So they can find me on LinkedIn. I would suggest that's probably the, the easiest one. Cara Graham. Um, from TWD Australia, um, feel free to send me a message or connect. You know, happy to, to have a chat, have a chat, or share some insights or learn some lessons. Even wonderful. Thank you, Carol, for being involved in the series. I really appreciate it. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Welcome back to this final episode, Matt Heiner. As always, great to be speaking to you. Fantastic to have you here. Now we're talking about the evolution, which uh, I think you and I have geeked out on a few times and many conversations over the years uh, when it comes to innovation and technology. Tell us what you're seeing in this space. It's a very big question, Fraser. Um, for this is the session I've been looking forward to. This is the uh, the area that we can crystal ball. Uh, and as I mentioned, I think in one of the early episodes, I can guarantee that some of these things will never happen, um, but wouldn't it be cool if they did? Um, so you know, clearly, there's a lot of change at the moment. Um, pleasingly, we're starting to see some meaningful change in the industry, uh, although I was uh, lamenting on something the other day, which is that even throughout the last couple of years where um, we've largely moved online and had to go digital, um, still only 50% of the industry are using digital signatures. Um, now, let's not confuse digital signatures or e-signatures with innovation because all we're doing is catching up with the rest of the world. And I, I'm struggling to understand how the other 50% uh, actually survived uh, over the last period, but that's a, another discussion altogether. Um, so what, what's happening in the future? Uh, I think everyone's starting to recognise that tech is important. They're starting to understand that business model innovation is important, which means we can't keep doing the same things. Um, and we're seeing this sort of roll through the industry from a pricing perspective, um, the way that people are offering services, 
uh, the way that some firms are generating content marketing. So uh, setting up YouTube channels and um, producing regular seven or eight minute videos on a whole range of different topics to, to generate engagement and, and new business. Um, so we're actually starting to see um, you know, change and innovation in the industry, which is fantastic. But there is a very long way to go. We are still a long way behind many other industries, even some really boring industries. So um, it's time to focus. And uh, I think we need to also understand that if we're not making change, if we're not thinking about these things, it might not happen tomorrow, but in the next three to five years, you will lose relevance and you might not make it through. So let's be really conscious of that. uh, And let's start to think about what our digital presence is going to look like and what our business model is going to look like in the future. So to, to your exact question, um, what, what's happening? Um, where do we start? Do you want to start on the digital part, the business model? Before, before we get there, I just wanted to uh, pick up on the e-signature thing because I 100% agree. If, if somebody sends me a document these days, I'm like, can, I send it back to them and say, can you send it to me in, in a document where I can just do an e-signature? Um, and that's the same, I guess, for a lot of clients. You know, like if, if, if platforms like yours aren't doing e-signatures, then another one will be and clients are, will be demanding it from from uh, from advisors and i think advisors are in the middle of that dumb process of trying to trying to manage expectations of clients uh with um you know with, with uh you know in, any particular company of any particular product provider that uh, that may or may not be be taking those e-signatures and not just e-signatures but you know like id cert id type stuff as well um but you know, I, I just think back to my, you know, I, I don't know when the last time I signed something for a bank. Generally, it's uh, generally if I want to make a transaction with a bank, I just uh, you know, there's multi-factor or, or authentication or some other way. Indeed, I can't wait to throw out my printer. Uh, there is nothing more frustrating or that seems more of a waste of time than having to print something, sign it, and then scan it. Uh, anyway, uh, let, let, let's hope that's not the biggest innovation of the decade. Correct. Let's uh, let's get into some of the some of the fancy stuff when we get to the future. Things like and, and you mentioned whole of wealth being a, a real trend. Let, let's start there with the evolution of where that might um, what, that what, the opportunities that might be in there. Yeah, so whole, whole of wealth is uh, a core part of our strategic future. It's where we're spending a lot of time, effort, money, and thinking, uh, and we really do think it's the holy grail. Um, in this day and age, with so much data available, so much connectivity, uh, and so many services that can provide hyper-personalized experiences at a mass scale, um, the inability for clients to understand their whole financial picture uh, is kind of astounding. So uh, if we, I'll talk about what we're doing, but we're seeing others um, starting to sort of go down this path as well. Um, it's about collecting as much data as possible from as many sources as possible to give that client picture. So it might be bank feeds, uh, property feeds, so balances, but also where they're spending. Um, It could be information um, from enterprise solutions such as Class and BGL so that they can get all their superannuation uh, information, but all in a single spot. So don't make people have to go digging or hunting for this information. Present it, make sure it's presented really well. Um, And I think that sort of user experience or, or the UX um, is really what's driving success of a lot of these new sort of trading apps like your, your superheroes and your Robin Hoods. Um, they're not overly complex um, and they're not overly functional, but they've had huge growth because they're a pleasure to use. Um, so the challenge is how do we get a huge amount of information and make it enjoyable and engaging and hyper-personalized for our clients? But also, and then I think the next step is how do we use that data to start generating, and this is where it absolutely has to go and will go, to start generating sort of proactive advice and uh, actionable insights. So rather than um, advisors or clients uh, having to arrange a meeting, look back historically through what's happened to make plans for the future, um, advisors should be knowing almost in real time what's happening within their client base. 
Um, so some simple examples are if we're connected into, say, domain or REA, um, alerting an advisor that one of their clients has put their rental property on the market or that they've sold their family home. Uh, and then contacting the client to say, I've noticed that you've had a significant change in your life. Is there something that we can help you with? Or have you thought about doing this with the proceeds? Um, and then that has a, a huge number of roll-on effects. So proactive advice uh, and being um, constantly aware and alert to what's happening within your client base uh, is absolutely the future. Uh, but equally, making sure that clients know when they need to go and see uh, an advisor or when they need to seek help by generating, uh, again, ideas for them about, have you thought about this or is this the right time to maybe speak to a professional or did you know you can get a cheaper home loan somewhere? So um, that's really exciting for us. Um, and, and I think that's going to get um, you know, better and better over the next couple of years. Yeah, so this is a really interesting point. So starting with the data bank that we talked about before, the database, uh, the real-time thing is really exciting too because that just means that, you know, the feeds can all come into there, not necessarily to the software, which bypasses. Uh, I love the idea of, um, that you sort of touched on there of the, the review, not becoming a review anymore, looking back in time, but actually uh, like really proactive um, advice meetings. Yeah, uh, and and again, keep harping on the point. If we look at the likes of Facebook and Instagram, uh, they know a hell of a lot about us and it's no surprise that they're delivering real-time ads to us about things that we're interested in, suggesting stories that we're interested in. You know, That's where we need to get to as an industry. The technology is clearly available, uh, but it just requires someone to actually do it. Um, and that's going to happen in a digital environment through a client portal particularly uh, because that's where clients are wanting to interact. So that, that part of it, that client interaction, that client portal, um, big part of the future, we're going to see a huge adoption across the industry. Um, and once we start to see that adoption, and advisors start using it, uh, we're going to see it evolve pretty rapidly, I think. Uh, but again, and we touched on this in an earlier episode, um, the advent of data and data capabilities and data tools is going to be huge for the industry. Um, and we, we need to be focused on what our plan is there um, so that we don't get left behind. Yeah. Now, we're, now, obviously, a big part of this is also the open banking um uh, process, I guess we could call it. Uh, it sort of started a while ago and it became a thing and then it sort of, I don't know, it's sort of one of those things that hasn't really eventuated. Tell us where we're up to on our, on our open banking journey. It's a pretty complex area. Uh, sort of I'm, I'm across it at a high level uh, and at some point I understand we'll have to become a data recipient. At, at this point, um, banks are able to share data Although at the moment it's really driven by the consumer and by the um, by the sort of the advice or the accounting community, if you like, whereby um, there's a number of services that have been set up that effectively use screen scraping technology. So the big difference between uh, what's currently available and the future of open banking is that at the moment um, a site will go in, they'll use your credentials, effectively log into the site, pull your data out, and then display it back to you. In the open banking environment, that data will be uh, passed back and forward securely, uh, and uh, it will allow over time, and this is where it gets really exciting, the ability to not only read, so that is collect the data from a bank, but also to write. So imagine a world in the future where from the NetWealth app or your planning software um, or at some other client portal, a client could actually make a payment directly from that platform, but on behalf of or from any of their underlying linked bank accounts. Uh, Equally, with open banking, all of the data that's been collected by different providers uh, is being used to make recommendations, and we touched on that before. So we noticed that you're paying X for this home loan. Have you considered moving where you can save $1,000 a year if you move to XYZ Bank? Um, so comparison tools, uh, product comparisons, and in the future, just convenience and, and being able to write uh, directly back to banks is, is where it's all heading. Yeah, now this is. Now I want to touch on this conversation around uh, the ledger because obviously a bank keeps their ledger. They understand these are the transactions that happen and that they keep that's their source of truth. 
Um, how's blockchain going to change, you know, blockchain type technology where there's a distributed ledger that's stored across, you know, the globe, if you like, in, in secure sections, areas, blocks, if you want to call it that. Uh, how's that going to change anything to do with, say, banking, open banking or, or, or our banks? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit like trying to predict where the internet was going 20 years ago. Um, there's a huge and emerging market in what they call DeFi, uh, so decentralized finance. Um, and I have to admit, uh, I'm not close enough to it. I need to be. Uh, but there's some really interesting services that are being built on the blockchain. Uh, typically, I believe they're using the Ethereum blockchain now to deliver these DeFi services. Um, seems to be more secure and a bit more scalable. Um, and they're looking basically at cutting out the middlemen. So it's not necessarily that the, um, that the client is going to notice a big difference. It's more so that there won't be intermediaries throughout the whole process. Now, the big benefit to that is clearly that it's going to reduce cost to the consumer because people aren't taking a clip the whole way along. So it might be how quickly they can access markets, um, how quickly they can transfer money between different participants, um, and how quickly, I guess in many cases, they can convert their Bitcoin into a fiat. Yeah, fair enough. Now, just on whole of wealth as well, because whole of wealth works really well for a financial advisor to understand um, their client's whole of wealth. But what about from a client perspective for a client to have all their their whole of wealth in one spot? I think it's just a good customer experience. Um, It puts them back in control of their information and helps them hopefully uh, become more engaged uh, because they're able to do more, uh, but also to better understand their financial position. Um, And it's very hard to uh, understand or make decisions if you don't have the whole picture. Uh, So people typically will look at um, their bank account regularly. How much have I got? How much is sitting in my savings account? Um, They'll want to know what their mortgage is, how quickly they can pay it off or, or not. Um, but investments in super typically live in a different environment um, and so it's sort of out of sight, out of mind. And historically, uh, the experience was that people would only log into the website and turn the mobile each year when they got their annual statement, uh, whereas we think that we can create a far more engaged cons- uh, customer if we're bringing them into our environment for more than just a review of their investment or super portfolio. So they're coming in to look at their bank balances, they're looking at their mortgage, um, and therefore that's actually generating um, interest engagement and hopefully a conversation with their advisor. Yeah, and with some proactive targeted uh, information or education that comes out from time to time, it certainly keeps them engaged. Um, Now, obviously, a big part of this is around data. uh, And then on the back, I guess if we push ourselves even further out, uh, that use of data could be used for things like digital humans or VR or AR type engagement. Uh, Talk to us about how that might play out uh, versus the uh, the concept of somebody sitting across the table from you. Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, face-to-face is definitely not dead, and I don't want anyone to ever think that I will ever suggest that. Uh, it is important. People like to deal with humans, um, and unfortunately we've had to move from face-to-face to interface to interface uh, for too long, and, and everyone's itching to get back um, sort of how things were. Um, but the way that we communicate outside of that initial meeting or potentially the review meeting will change and has changed, um, so we need to make sure that we're communicating with our clients and understanding how they want to be communicated with. Let's not just assume that everyone's desperate to come back into our office in the CBD or uh, in the suburbs uh, because they could be very happy to um, sit down quickly once the kids have gone to bed or after dinner, have a half-hour chat with you um, and move on to the next thing. So that really comes down to business model innovation. How are we going to service our clients? Can we do it quicker? Can we actually record a video and send it out to our clients? Does it need to be interactive for those quarterly reviews, for example? Um, And we're also starting to see new business models evolve around things like subscription services. So uh, it might not be a full advice relationship, but it could be a coaching relationship where for 
$80 a month, they get access to a great content library, um, certain tools, uh, and if they want to speak to an advisor, they can reach out um, and have a fee-for-service conversation around a topical or what we call episodic advice um, piece. So there's going to be a lot of change there as well. Fantastic. Matt, thank you so much for coming on uh, and being part of this series. Um, if somebody wants to continue this conversation with you, what's probably the best way that they can uh, find you? Yeah, first of all, it's been great fun. Really enjoyed being on the series and hopefully it's been of interest to your listeners. Uh, look, this is this is an area that we're, we're passionate about. As a business, we do a huge amount of research um, on the Advisable Australians, different segments within that, uh, and also on technology as well as sort of what's happening overseas. So uh, for anyone that is interested in finding out more, I highly recommend that you have a look at our website. There's a, a huge amount of content, uh, so white papers, short form articles, podcasts uh, that you can listen to. Um, but also um, have a chat to one of the NetWealth BDMs because we've uh, we've also created a whole lot of toolkits uh, to help businesses innovate. So we've got a range of workshops, um, we've got innovation cards, um, posters to really help advisors start the journey or to improve their current position because there are some great firms doing some great things out there at the moment. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Matt Heiner. Thanks, Fraser. Thank you.